So the topic, the title of today's talk is DIY Makeover. Now you, you probably know already where I get this DIY business. Do-it-yourself makeover. And saying that, I think about my wife's frequency in looking at these uh, DIY makeover shows, which of course all of us have seen them. These shows encourage and promote DIY home improvement. Valerie's favorite of all these shows that she looks at, it features a couple Joanne and Chip Gaines, Fixer Upper. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Now, the focus of their show, as it is others of similar uh, production, the focus of their show is to take a house in need of improvements, convert it into one more suitable for living, increase its value, and make it much better than before. And to carry it out with they and their crew, they have to tear things down, raise other things up, break through walls, reroute plumbing and electrical, redo kitchens and bathrooms, replace roofs, and you get the idea. That is not me. No. All the power tools in my house belongs to Valerie. I, I sincerely mean that. I buy her power tools because so, I don't know what to do with them. When they do these shows, uh, Joanne and uh, Chip Gaines, they, they present as part of their show a before picture of the project and then an after picture in order to appreciate the remarkable makeover. Sometimes it seems like they do wonders to a house that was depleted or abandoned. And you end up thinking after you see what they do to that house, if you're like me, you're thinking about when are you coming to my house? We need a makeover too. Now, today's lesson concerns itself with a different kind of house. I will probably say little or nothing about windows and doors and floors and cabinets and the such. Today's lesson is not about the house. It's about the people in the house. For this lesson, there are three persons in the house. There is a father and two sons. All three of them are in the same line of work. They are priests of God. Can you imagine that? Handpicked by God to represent him among the people. Unfortunately, somewhere along their way, their lives took a turn, a fatal turn. Good went to bad, and bad went to worse. Had there been some DIY, do-it-yourself, along the way to the house, meaning them, the house would have stood and not fallen the inhabitants of the house would have lived and not died. So let me enumerate, or perhaps a better word, illustrate this passage and its personalities to Samuel, chapter 2 of Samuel 1. Let me introduce you to the family. The father is Eli, E-L-I. 
He is the high priest of God. He serves in the highest spiritual position in the land. His more present location would be Shiloh. The sons of Eli are Hophni and Phinehas. Why would a mother want to name their children that is beyond me? Hophni and Phinehas, they also are priests of God. So first let's begin with Eli. Eli is the father. We're told that he held a very responsible position. He was both high priest and judge in the community. He was a very busy man according to the word of God. He was highly respected and he judged all of Israel for 40 years. And by this time, he's very old. And again, he's a father of two sons. Eli was spiritually sensitive in that he heard from God on behalf of the people. We know that he was spiritually sensitive because in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Bible tells us that Samuel, an adopted son of Eli, Eli being the spiritual mentor, Samuel heard from God three different nights consecutively. Samuel, while sleeping, heard a voice calling his name. He ran to the room where Eli was resting, and he thought that maybe Eli was calling him. And Eli says, no, son, go back and lay down. Second night, no, son, go back and lay down. The third night, Samuel heard his name. He went to Eli again, and Eli says, go back and lay down. When you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And that's how it turned out to be. It was God speaking to Samuel with Eli's assistance. And then the Bible says that he was, Eli, the high, was very diligent in his job. He remained at his spiritual post, home base in Shiloh, and faithfully ministered there, as I said, 40 years. So here you have him. A father, a priest, a judge, very old, spiritually sensitive, and diligent in his job. Let me introduce you to the boys, the sons. The scriptures does not have a complimentary word for these two boys. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, and you'll see it on the screen. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Belial is a word that is not common to our culture, but it was then. And here are some of the understandings of Belial. Belial represented corruption, darkness. It gets worse. Belial represents the devil. A scoundrel. Belial means selfishness. It refers to corruption of character. In other words, Hophni and Phinehas touched sacred things with unholy hands. 
They were officially among the highest spiritual men of their day. They bore a holy name. They pronounced holy words. They were dressed with sacred garments. They served in the priestly office, yet they were sons of Belial. How is that possible? How is it possible that they could be the sons of a priest, a holy man, and yet be the sons of Belial? Haven't we all wondered along the way how some children turn out to be so sinful and so rebellious, so profane, who had the blessings of godly parents? So, so here are some predominant thoughts from this family. How did they get that way? How did Eli, a man of God, get to become such an unholy, unwise father? When I speak to you on these terms, I'm speaking to me. I don't have all this fatherhood business worked out yet, but I've lived long enough to discern and learn how I can do better. And I, like you, want to. Can I get an amen? So here we are. Number one, in what area do we need some of this DIY, do-it-yourself makeover? And why? Eli was preoccupied with his position to the exclusion of his family's needs. Preoccupation with the father's profession to the exclusion of his family's need. Eli was busy being a priest and a judge of Israel. Very recognizable offices. He was preoccupied with his public profession and failed to focus on his family's needs. Get this. How could Hophni and Phinehas have been brought up and around church and godly people and so much spirituality and become the sons of Belial? Well, for one thing, daddy was never at home. With all that judging of Israel, with all that notoriety, Eli never saw his children until late in the evening when they were already in bed. If Eli wasn't there, sirs, fathers, me, if Eli wasn't there at appropriate times, how could he track the soon-to-be delinquent behavior of his boys and correct them in due time. Well, Eli thought this. I got an urgent job. I got a prestigious job. I got hundreds of thousands of people to tend to. Surely my boys will understand and we will get together later. And later never came. I read this. I read this account some years ago from a book written by Ross Campbell. It's the part of the opening chapter of his book entitled How to Really Know Your Child. 
And so this is what he tells and says about a counseling session. I won't give you all of it. I'll give you some of it, but you'll get the gist from where I begin and where I stop. Mark Johnson sat across from me, impatiently tapping his well-manicured fingers on the arm of his chair. He was obviously a person of financial means. His overall appearance and his mannerisms were flawless. His lovely wife, Brenda, whose attire and behavior appeared equally as perfect, seemed equally as impatient. Sorry to keep you waiting, I began as I finished scanning their file. I see you an attorney, Mark. My son-in-law is an attorney. I really admire you guys. There appears to be no end to the details you have to pursue before finally presenting your case. And how are you, Brenda? Is the world of children's clothing keeping you busy? Brenda is the owner and operator of a fashionable children's clothing store. As it goes on, both Mark and Brenda are Sunday school teachers and are active in a large church. All outward indications give them the mark of a very successful couple. They have two children, a daughter, Amy, age six, and a son, Todd, age 11. So why are they sitting in my office? Dr. Campbell, we need to talk to you about Todd. Six months ago, he seemed to change from a normal boy into a quiet stranger who's angry all the time. He constantly found excuses to stay away from us. Goodness knows... We have very little time to spend with each other as it is. Mark's workload seems to be increasing daily, and my shop keeps me past 10 o'clock most evenings, Brenda said. Mark pipes in. Yes, Dr. Campbell. And you think that the kids would appreciate all we can give them because we work all those long hours. Amy hasn't been any trouble, but Todd is a different story. He goes on, a few nights ago, some of the older friends brought him home drunk. What in the world would make an 11-year-old kid who has everything do such a thing? Brenda says, we're shocked beyond words. And to make matters worse, he disrupted the entire household schedule with this silly trick. Mark has to reschedule his clients, and I'm taking time from the store to keep this appointment with you. Don't get me wrong, we want to help Todd, but we can't understand why this happens. Mark said, we've given everything and given him everything, and this is the way he treats us. And I'm finishing with this quote. What in the world is wrong with our boy? Mark says, or could it be us? I settle legal matters for the most important people in the city, but I can't make my own son happy. Could it be us? Let me give you a second thought of this DUI. Pardon me, yeah, DUI too. The Holy Spirit, give me a right now word. That can cause a lot of trouble. Maybe I should dwell on it, but I'll move on. Listen, brothers and sisters. Uh, no amount of money, no amount of things is going to substitute for the time and energy we need to put in our children. No amount of video games, 
No amount of hanging out with their friends. No amount of of particular movies. No amount of things that we put in their lives. And we're, we're glad to do that. Sometimes it's necessary. But what they need more of is me and you. Here's a second thought, please. Refusal to face the severity of the son's lifestyle. Did Eli not want to believe that his sons were doing these things? What things were they doing? Well, in chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says they were despising the offerings of the Lord. Uh, Back in those times, the worshiper would come to the tabernacle and bring a meat sacrifice. The servant of the priest would take the meat sacrifice and place that meat in a large pot or cauldron and allow it to boil for a season. And as it's boiling, the servant of the priest Hophni and Phinehas and Eli would come with a metal prong, three prongs, and would uh, put with force into that pot with the prongs into the meat. And whatever the three metal prongs brought up while the meat is boiling, the priests could have that portion. But first, the meat had to be boiled, later roasted, because God delighted in the offering of the fat of the meat because it was the best and God deserved the best. But what Eli, especially his sons Hophni and Phinehas would do, would before the meat was placed in the boiling cauldron or pot, they would Tell the servant at the pot, I want you to give me the meat now before it goes to be boiled. And the servant would say, that's not the word of God. That's not the tradition. The tradition is that we give it to God first. And then the servants of Hophni and Phinehas says, if you don't give it to us now, we'll take it by force. There was a threefold purpose for the sacrifice First portion would go to God. Second portion would go to the priest. And the third portion would go to the one who offered the sacrifice. But Hophni and Phinehas didn't care. We're first, God's later. That's kind of what's happening in America. I know you ain't dancing up and down, and I expected that. I wrote this sermon 31 years ago. 31 years. And I haven't seen much of America change for the better. And I know, and I don't, I don't want to make Pastor J.C. uncomfortable, but he knows me long before you do. So, uh, well, some of you. What I want to do is to ring some bells and blow some trumpets and beat some drums because you only get to be a daddy one time.
And just like Hophni and Phinehas didn't give a rip about God and about church and about Bible and about prayer, don't think for a moment God wasn't looking. Because if God gives me the tool to be a better father and a better son and a better husband and a better man of God and a better worker, if God gives me and you the tool, male and female, to do a better job, if I don't do a better job, it won't be God's fault. So, so let, me give you, let me give you something here. Let me show you the sins, the severity of the sins of the sons. Uh, the sons, Hophni and Phinehas, would wait at the door of the tabernacle and seduce the female worshipers. Right at the door. Blatantly and openly. And it was so blatant and open until the other worshipers at the temple or tabernacle in this case would see it publicly and would complain to their father about the behavior of his boys. Severity to sin. Let me give you a third severity of sin. They made a mockery of everything holy bordering on blasphemy. If anybody needed to guard the word of God, it would be these boys. If anybody needed to guard the house of prayer, it would be these boys. If anybody needed to be compassionate and merciful and guard the procedure of animal sacrifice, if anybody needed to anoint with oil and be used of God, it would be Hophni and Phinehas. And yet they were more concerned about personal entertainment and pleasure. And so I say that to you to say that as I ponder this word, I think that maybe Eli says, not my boys, you must be mistaken. Eli knew what his sons was doing, but, but he didn't act. The Living Bible paraphrases, it says Proverbs 19 and 18 says this. Look, look at it, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son in his early years while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin his life. Oh, boy. You know, along the way, I know in Trinidad, we, we, we used to, uh, they used to spank us at school if we did, didn't behave. Now, that's a long time ago. They had these little traps and it, that the barber would use to get his razor. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the, the school didn't mind the teacher beating the daylights out of us. And our parents were all the more happier. We misbehaved. It was Sunday. They said, I'll send you to school right now. <laughs> but you know what has happened in schools now? We need a little bit more of the board of education applied to the seat of understanding. That's a good place to clap. Well, I needed that clap. God knows I was hurting, man. I was running dry. You know, you know, I'm not mad at you. You understand that? Yeah, none of you said anything. <laughs> now I'm mad at you. I'm not, but I wish. Brothers and sisters, and I, God help me if I have an ego problem. My dad is 91 years old. He will. He's at church today, and he has guest pastor and uh, that's why he's not preaching I've seen him all my life a preacher converted from Hinduism I married into the ministry 
my wife's father being a minister. Her grandfather was a minister. Her uncles was a minister. You can tell what kind of heathen they were in that family. They needed all the ministers they could get. <laughs> now Pastor J.C. is a minister. And one day perhaps Lakeland will be a minister. If you could talk him out of that, see what you can do. And I say all that to tell you, compounded. If you put Brother Gann together, if you put Pastor JC together, if you put my dad Sam Matura together, if you put me together with all of them as ministers, as pastors who love the family and love the church, our regret is going to be about the number of families in, in our ministries who are away from God, who are lost and away from sons are lost. Daughter, I wish I could tell you every marriage ceremony I performed over 36 years years stayed together. Somebody has got to wake up and say, I've got a responsibility. Yes, it is my son. Yes, it is my daughter. Yes, it is my child. They're not perfect and I am going to do what is right by them. Mm -mm -mm -mm. <laughs> well, did I, did I show you the Good News Bible's rendition that I put it up there, that same verse. Discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them destroy themselves. I'm not for abuse. Somebody has made abuse and discipline synonymous. They are not. There's a difference between abuse and a different. I'm not about to view. Every time I see somebody at the, at the mall with not many malls now, but at the grocery store and someplace else. And they're harsh on the little one, overly harsh and rude and, and just, you know, slap the kid in the face or, or make a, a big scene. Every time I see that and I see abuse coming on, I feel like I want to be like the Incredible Hulk. Blow up to about nine feet tall and slap them into tomorrow. You know why God didn't make me bigger? Because I'd be in jail. Be in jail. Look, look, look at this. Everybody comfortable now? You're getting a little better with it? Here's a third thought about DIY. Do it yourself and we can. Why do we need it? Because there's, there's failure to respond correctly to the warning of others. You know God put some good people in our life. Not everybody wants to criticize us. Not everybody wants to find fault with us. Not everybody wants to get a smart headache with us. There are some people in our lives who truly love us, truly pray for us, truly love our families, truly want to see our children succeed because God placed them there for us. Let me tell you something else. That's why God put you there. You don't raise your own child and go your way and say, thank God mine's not like that. Give me a witness, somebody. Everyone should be raising someone we love in prayer at least. And so failure to respond correctly to the warning of others was Eli's problem. Eli was warned no less than four times, church, of the deterioration of his family. Number one, he was warned from the people. Everybody say, the people. And all the sleeping people say, yeah, I confirmed it. 
all the people who worshipped at the gate and the door of the tabernacle in times of celebrations or every day when they saw Hophni and Phinehas abusing the worship and sexually immoral with the women warned Eli. Here's another one they were warned by. They were warned by Eli, by an unnamed prophet. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, God sent a prophet from nowhere. We don't even know his name. But it was urgent enough for God to send Eli, an old man now, to Eli, this prophet, warning him about his calling and his anointing and his commission and his priesthood and his, uh, his, his supposedly sacredness to his office. I warn you, says the prophet, that if you don't change your ways and you don't turn around and you don't change your voice, you will lose your ministry. And I gave you this ministry and your descendants, I gave them to you before you were born, Eli. And here you are going to lose it. We don't need a prophet's name. That's not important right now. It's the message of the prophet. Wow. I'm really trying hard here for you to like me. But I don't have no more jokes. You today will need to do what I need to do. There are some sermons that are right now, right there in the parking lot and we go home with it. But then there are some words that the Holy Ghost will take us and stir us up next month, next year. I pray, I pray if somebody, what if Eddie Kirk, would you stand, Officer Kirk, and I'm going to watch my time. Officer Kirk is an SRO officer at the middle school, uh, East Coweta Middle School. He also is an officer for the county, etc. He has told me stories numbers of times of his... Uh, uh, having to deal with children, deal with parents, deal with other situations that have to do with the neglect of parents to their children. And sometimes the parents will on the inside laugh as if he don't know what he's talking about. Thank you. Left to their own ways, he might be the same man picking them up from the side of the road, putting handcuffs in them, and then it'll be too late to say if I only listen. When your school teacher, your kids, your school teacher, call you about your children, do you defend them? Or do you say, okay, I'll take care of it? When, when, a, when, when the judge says, I'm going to send them to rehab, and you're responsible to make sure, do you, they're under your supervision. They get there every day. Do you, do you listen? You know, some of the uh, after parents have raised their children and uh, we have grandchildren, uh, sometimes the parents of the parents, meaning you raise your kids, your kids have kids, and now the kids your kids have uh, have some problems. But you act like they're Cinderella. I'm telling you, I pastored some of your brats. No, excuse me. I, I, I didn't mean to say that. I just slipped out. 
I preach like a man that don't have a pulpit. <laughs> and he says, you won't even anymore. <laughs> and, and, and I say this not because I need to build up Pastor JC. He does know my heart. Grandparents sometimes say something like this. When you won't take care of your kids, come over here. They said to their daughter or son, birth those kids. Oh, sit down a minute. Let me tell you something about your snotty-nosed little brat. Thank God for grandparents. Because now you, you can't slap your grandparents. And I, I'm, I'm just simply saying to you, if you don't catch it soon enough, it'll catch up with you. Last, last thought, and we just about finished, okay? Last thought, and this is rationalization of wrong whereby becoming a part of the problem. The word of God in 2.29 of 1 Samuel says that uh, Eli, Daddy Eli, honored his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, more than he did the Lord. Did you get that? The judgment on Eli was that you, Eli, instead of honoring me, have sided with your boys and become a part of the problem. The Bible says that this is not derogatory. It's in the Bible. Eli was a fat man. It's in the book. And it didn't say there because the Bible wanted to degrade Eli. But Eli became a fat man because he ate the fat that his sons ate. Even though he knew that Hophni and Phinehas was violating the ritual of the sacrifice and they were taking the best meat for themselves, after a while, Eli ate from it and didn't rebuke. He was a fat man because he disobeyed God and the consequences were evident. Here it is. This is the closing. Israel was at battle with the Philistines during this time. The word of God said, the message came to Eli prior to this and said, God said, I'm going to take the life of your sons both on the same day. I'm going to kill them. And the Bible says, that uh, on this one given day, Hophni and Phinehas went to battle against the Philistines with the Israelites. 30,000 Israelites were killed that day and a messenger from the battle scene came to Eli who was sitting at the city gate on a bench and when he came to Eli, he said to him, 30,000 Israelites have died today and the whole city went in uproar. And, and, and then, then he said to him, the Ark of the Covenant of God has been taken from the Israelites by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant of God represented the presence of God in the midst of the people. You don't want to lose that. And it was taken. And the Bible says when Eli heard that, he was sitting on a bench at the city gates and he fell over backwards and broke his neck and he died of a broken neck, a broken heart, and a broken home. I say all that not to make you feel less than you are. 
But I say all of that to tell you the Word of God is our protector. Eli's daughter-in-law, y'all still with me, is it okay? Eli's daughter-in-law, Hophni's wife, was in the ninth month of a pregnancy when Eli died of a broken neck and a broken heart, and both his sons died on the same day. The Bible said that when she, Eli's daughter-in-law, heard her father-in-law died, her husband died, her brother-in-law died, the ark taken, she died in childbirth. And she named her son Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. I feel something, maybe you don't. When I get to heaven, I don't want God to tell me singularly, you know, you preached a real good message on Father's Day. I don't want God to say, you know, you, was a, you were a real good husband to Valerie and a father to Kimberly, JC, Jennifer, and Edward. I like to hear, though, I, I don't want God to tell me, you did a real good job going to college and you told nice jokes. I just want to hear him say, your son... Your daughters, your grandchildren are here because you did better than Eli. You called it like it is. Please bow. I, I'm really telling you this, and I don't want you—I don't want you to think I just ordained this message to make you mad. I just God ordained this message to throw up a flag for us. So in a moment, we have a representation of men who will come and stand in this altar to pray for men who would like to come forward. And Pastor Ben will come in a moment and give you that invitation. You men who will come to stand and pray for these brothers, you come now. If you will, please. Those who are going to pray with the brothers who are coming. And when you come in a moment to the other brothers and sons and fathers, of course. Nobody's calling you an Eli if you come. Nobody's calling you a Huffni or Phineas if and when you come. Nobody's calling you a sorry dad or a sorry son. Don't let that stuff eat you up. It is not your image that you need to guard in the house. It's your heart your heart. You say, you say, Pastor Allen, I can do better and I want to do better. I can do better and I want to do better. I've seen myself in some of this and though it's been a little bit uh, soul searching, I would just appreciate you asking God to give me what I need. Would that be you? Would you raise your hand where you are? Not, not standing, just, just just raise your hand, dads and men. Would you, would you do that? Come on, don't be afraid. I mean, the Lord's for you, not against you. Put him down, please. Thank you. Put him down. And I'm going to pray right now in the moment Pastor Ben's coming. Father, put us on the altar. I don't mean, and you know, just 
make us a sacrifice, but perhaps you could make us a living sacrifice. Father, every man, every boy, every grandfather, every, every, every person, every male person here today, in the name of Jesus, empty us of ourselves and fill us with you. Say amen, somebody. Cleanse us of thoughts we shouldn't have. Cleanse us of attitudes we shouldn't have. Cleanse us of behaviors we shouldn't have. Let us open our eyes to the truth. Let us open our ears to the truth. Let us, oh God, even if it costs us something, if the reward and consequence makes us a better person, let us walk in the path where others are not willing to walk if it's the path you lay before us. Sanctify us, baptize us in the Holy Ghost and cleanse us in Jesus' name.